Bereavement Room is a podcast for our community, faith and culture, featuring representative voices from across the UK. And I am your host, Kolsima Ali. Hello, my name's Shireen Kerr and you're listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Hi, I'm James Boston and you're listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Hello, I'm Bafo Ababio and you're listening to Bereavement Room podcast. Hi, I'm Jameel Amaraji, and you listen to Bereavement Room Podcast. Hi, I'm Ben Akwa, and you're listening to Bereavement Room Podcast. Hi, I'm John Almir, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room Podcast. Hi, I'm Chelsea Coombson, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room Podcast. Hello, my name is Laura Marvin, and you are listening to the Bereavement Room Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to Bereavement Room Podcast. I'm your host, Kolsima. I hope you're having a great week. If you need to get in touch with me, you know you can find me on Twitter or Instagram. The handle is at Bereavement Room. Which brings me to say that today's guest is Shireen Kerr. Shireen is a qualified integrative therapist. She's also the founder and creator of the Black Family Support Group based in Suffolk for black and brown people. They hold weekly meetings where they discuss recent issues that are affecting the black community like racism, the pandemic, sickle cell, anemia, the importance of donating blood, managing microaggression in the workplace, environment and mental health issues. I will link all of the sites on the episode show notes. I'm really pleased to have Shireen in the room today. She's joined me to talk about her mum who died of cancer in 2008. As always, thank you so much for listening. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so pleased to have you here. My listeners love to know where people are from, what they do, what their interests are. So yeah, go for it. Introduce yourself. My name is Shireen. I'm um, a single parent. And um, in 2018, I graduated from university as a a qualified integrative therapist. Um, Mm. I'm currently working in mental health in higher education, but my real passion is in psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. And how are you finding that? How is now that you've qualified? um, How is that going for you? What's Um, life like? Life has improved because I think I believe I've been able to um, actually been able to get a better job because of my qualification. Um, but it's but the job that I do in mental health can be emotionally draining. So you do have to be very mindful of that, and self care has to be quite high on the list. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine you do have to look after yourself because it's yeah. it's a lot. It's a lot. And what kind of led you to study psychotherapy and qualify as a psychotherapist? Um, I've had counselling myself on and off over the years. And um, I was actually working as a welfare officer in student welfare. And um, one of my um, managers said to me, you should look into doing counselling and you would be a very good supervisor. And I was amazed. I was like, wow, um, me? (laughs) Really? You think I'm capable of that? Um, 
So I thought about it and looked into what qualifications I already had and I had enough to apply to university and I was accepted. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. And it's really nice when someone kind of brings that into your awareness that you're actually really good at something, but you maybe don't see it yourself. Yeah, yeah. And mm. actually, I sort of saw her as um, like a mentor to me at the time. So it really did mean a lot to me. And I'm very grateful to her for recognising that in me, actually. Oh, that's really lovely. There's always someone like that in our life that we'll always be grateful to for kind of shining a light on maybe something that we're, you know, that we are not aware of. Yeah. Um, but that's brilliant. And congratulations on qualifying and, and working as a psychotherapist. And I, and I, and I guess this kind of brings me on to talk about your mum. Obviously, there's no need tidy way to kind of talk about your story so feel free to tell it in the way that you want to um what what was your mum like you know uh what was your relationship like with your mum uh describe her to me my mum was um a very kind quiet lady um she had a very small circle of friends she lived a very quiet life as in she didn't go out much um she was very homely and um loved to watch tv um and she loved to laugh as well um and our relationship um was i'm the youngest of seven children so um i always felt that i was maybe close i was the closest to my mom mm. Um, because of being the youngest and our relationship was up and down um, through the years but when I had my son then our relationship we became much closer and my mom supported me in raising my son for a few years when she was alive. and and mums are so important in that sense when we do have our children or or reach a milestone in our life that you know that they are there to support us um and you you're one of seven so you say that you were the youngest yeah Uh, and what what's that like what was that like for you growing up and (laughs) well when I was really young um you know I was given, I think, a bit more attention than um, my other siblings because they were older. And um, but as I got older, then that sort of faded away. And um, yeah, it was quite. I, I always felt like there was some of my siblings that I didn't really know that well because of the age gap between us. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I feel like they kind of grew up together and I had to grow up on my own because of such an age gap. And a lot of my siblings had left home by the time when I was sort of growing up. Um, I think when I was in senior school. There was only sort of two of my, two of my siblings living at home. Yeah, I I hear you on that being the youngest. I'm I'm also from a large family, 
and I have lots of big age gaps as well with my siblings and we don't always understand each other yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't you know I often feel like I'm lost in translation yeah. uh, and that can be difficult because you can feel a bit it can be a bit of a lonely experience actually yeah and I think people often think that, oh, you know, if you come from a big family, you're like the Brady Bunch. Yeah. Uh, but that's just not the case at all. It's far mm. from from that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, your mum had cancer. She got diagnosed with cancer. Where Where were you at the time? Were you living at home or were you living away or studying? I was living... Um... I was living with my son, who was two at the time, um, and I was the new mom, um, single mom. So it was all very new to me, and I was also juggling a part-time job um, as a, a dental nurse at the time. So it was quite a lot that was going on because my mom, my mom wasn't diagnosed by her GP because the GP she went to the doctors the GP the result that came back the GP said it was negative he sent her away she then calls me and said um, I woken up today and my eyes are yellow and I said what do you mean your eyes are yellow and she said well they're like the whites of my eyes are yellow so I said, okay, and I thought, oh, this doesn't sound right. So I said, what did the doctor say? And she said, well, he, they said that the results were negative. There wasn't anything. So I said, let me see if I can call my doctor and see if you come down, because my mom lived in a, a different town, mm-hmm. a different county, actually. And I said, if you get the train and come and see me and stay with me, then we can... Um, I'll call my doctor and see if they will see you. And they were really, really good, I have to say. I called the doctors and I explained it and they said, yeah. Um, They gave us an appointment for the next day. Um, I took my mum to the doctors. They then um, sent us to the hospital. We went to the hospital and they did some tests, which were really unpleasant, actually. My mum had to have um, a a microscope. yeah, it's a microscope put down her throat. Oh, gosh. And I remember her saying that she would never go through that again. Um, yeah, I just, <laughs> it was really an unpleasant experience. Yeah, that sounds very unpleasant. I I know what tests you're talking about when they put the, the microscope down your throat. And I just wonder in this day and age if there are other methods of... I don't know if there are other methods, but it sounds very scary and painful. Yeah, I think it's quite, um, yeah, you'd think at this, hopefully with technology, that they'd find something that's um, a bit kinder, mm. a bit more gentle than having to do that. Uh, and when they did uh, have that test with the microscope, did that bring back results of some kind? Um, it did, yeah that's when we got the results um, saying that she had cancer Mm. of the bile duct. Mm. Um, Oh, so that's why her her eyes had gone yellow? Yes, yeah. Okay, so it's not not jaundice though, is it? It, Yeah, she had jaundice. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. 
so um and then we we saw the the doctor and he gave us the diagnosis um and i remember the doctor saying um but it's okay you you know you've got a fight on your hands but you know you can you can get through this you can do it you know but you've got a fight on your hands so we walked away feeling i walked away with some hope and i was thinking oh okay so mom's got cancer not a great result at all but we can we can beat this there's there's a chance we can beat this um and i really did hold on to that hope for um i think it was a couple of weeks until we were given an appointment with a consultant um and they gave us the bad news that my mom's cancer was terminal okay that's really difficult, really difficult news to hear. So were, were you in the room at the time or? Yes, I was in the room at the time. Um, I think my mom asked if my, me and my sister could go into the room with her. Um, yeah, and I just remember being in complete shock. It's horrific. I think that it is a really shocking thing that almost you're so numb from hearing that news. Um, and because that's your mum, you know. Yeah. And it's not in your control either. What You know, it, it, we would want to do everything in our power for our loved ones. But when something's not in your control. So that, were they able to treat her or no? Absolutely not. Well, luckily, because she'd come to a teaching hospital... They did offer her some that some radiotherapy, I think it was, or it might now. I'm not sure. I'm not certain if it was radio or chemotherapy, but she did have some therapy, um, and they said that it wouldn't cure the cancer, but it would help to prolong her life. Okay, and and were you and your mum okay with that? Is that something your mum wanted to? Yeah. My mum was okay with going ahead with that, and we we did go. I think sort of um, four or five times she had um, the treatment, and um, it. I believe it did help to prolong her life because the re one of the other reasons why I was so shocked was the time that they gave her. Okay. Which was three months. Oh gosh. Yeah, three months, and I just could not believe it. Um, and she lasted six months. But still doesn't, you know, three months, six months, it's... It's a very short time, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's... a very short time to accept that you're going to die, and my mum did admit to me that, well, she felt that she'd been a coward because she hadn't accepted... Her fate. She hadn't accepted her diagnosis. But and in her defence, I don't think she had time to accept it. Of course not. Uh, and you know, um, how do you process that? You know, it's processing that news before you even get to a stage of accepting this is it. Um, and you have such little time to do that, and then 
you know you've got children grandchildren and all these other things to think about as well and it just it's a it's a lot of information for the person receiving the news but then also the family members around them and I've I mean, I've been there myself and I was try. I remember the, the moment as well myself in my own experiences. So kind of what, what happened after then? I mean, so her life was prolonged with the radiotherapy and was that at home or was that in hospital? That was in the hospital. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I remember going to the appointment and actually I, now that we're talking about it, I remember my son coming to one of the appointments with us. And he must have, I don't know, he he said something that almost, something like, are you, are you not very well, Nanny, or something like that. He, he picked up on, even though he wasn't even three years old, he knew that something wasn't right. It's really hard as well, because kids, they, they can... Um, it's the atmosphere and the environment. They can pick up on things really quickly, can't they? Yeah. 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 Does he still remember that now? He doesn't know. No. He doesn't. He's he's fifteen now. He doesn't. Yeah. Remember. So what was? Um, so she was treated in hospital. Did she? Did she die at home or did she die in hospital? She died in a hospice. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think it was the Macmillan hospice and they were very very good she had mm. the best care that she could have possibly had um in the last couple of weeks um so when when she got really um ill they um she was admitted into the hospice and um and, and stayed there until the very end um and she had her own room um she had, you know, the, the round-the-clock care, and they were excellent. They really were. Mm. And I think that's really important um, that that care is there and those services are there and that they're available and that, the, that they're good as well, not just available, yeah. but actually really good. Yeah. Um, because family members can't always be there to be the carer if they've got, you know, I don't know, other responsibilities or don't live close by or, you know, whatever the circumstances are. But also it takes a toll on one's health as well because we're not professional carers ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In terms of injecting medication and stuff like that. Um, so it's really great that that service is there. Um, was it close by to where you live or was it in the county that your mum lived in? It was in the county that my mum lived in and um, unfortunately because I didn't get the support from my siblings um, I, my mum did agree that she would go back home when you know the time was coming to the end because she she it was pre-planned that she would go and stay in the hospice and she she agreed to that um but when it actually came to that time um she i think maybe she was afraid um of going back to back home and being alone because my mom did live alone um, yeah. And I had to, 
I had to make a very hard decision of saying, well, you know, I, you have to do this. And it, it did affect our relationship at that time. Um, uh, when you say have to do this, you mean go home or stay yeah. in hospice? Okay. Yeah. Because I actually couldn't really cope anymore. Mm. Um, and I couldn't, I knew I couldn't cope with her when it was coming to the end because that would have been a lot. Um, it was already a strain on me of having my mum there for, you know, months and mentally and physically. Um, and I couldn't continue doing that. I couldn't keep it up any longer. Um, so I needed my mum to go home so that somebody else would step up and start supporting her. Another sibling would. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important in families. Our families can be really convoluted and sometimes you have to make a harsh decision in order for other people to be aware that they need to take responsibility as well yeah yeah and that's what I really was struggling with because I was um one of my my siblings did come and visit my mom every sort of couple of weeks but then towards the end that got a bit left and left and I just needed somebody to really step up and start you know supporting either me and my mom really um so i i that's why i had to make that decision and it was really hard um to make the decision that it that she goes to a hospice to make the decision that she went back home okay um to die at home or um just to to stay at home until she was admitted into the hospice oh, i see i got you yeah okay. the hospice were prepared for they knew she was going to be coming to the hospice um so it, that was already arranged um but I think my mom maybe I'm not really certain why she wouldn't didn't want to go back home I think maybe it was fear of being on her own at a time mm -hmm. like that when um but I couldn't I couldn't go home with her because I had to continue working and I had my son and I also couldn't continue supporting being the, the carer because I mentally and physically it was it was becoming too much for me. It is it is too much for one person to take on so much. Yeah. Uh, and I think outside factors, external factors don't always uh, whether they're people or services don't always understand that. But um I'm really happy that you did make that decision because in order for you to do any kind of caring or anything, you have to be well yourself. Yeah. And and have the support as well um, for you to be able to do that. But if you don't have that support and you're not well yourself, then, you know, you're, you won't be able to help the person that you love um, in their care and needs. And it's just, it's just really difficult when there's... Uh, family dynamics that don't quite add up um where family members aren't able to step up I can definitely resonate with that just because I've had my fair share of arguments with my siblings <laughs> you know we've had full-on fights about stuff who did what and who didn't do what and you know so oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's that's really hard and it can be so isolating yeah very very yeah. isolating i when i was thinking about coming on when i was looking at the um the brief and and you know thinking about you know going through things in my head the journey that i've been on of um of my bereavement and i was looking back and um and yeah, I remember when I used to sit down, when my mum would go to bed when she was living with me and then, you know, it'd be me, my son was then in bed as well and I would be there sort of watching TV and sort of trying to wind down and I would just, that's when I started my grieving before my mum even died, I would cry. I would, I, I started my grieving before. Um, because every day that person is there with you and it's not like you can forget that it's going on it's not like you can continue living your life so I was I was there I felt like I was going through it with her and I started my grieving before before she even died yeah because you're watching you're watching that happen in front of your eyes yeah and it's it's not in your control and it's that anticipatory stage where it's it's happening before it's even happened yeah and i think it's tough watching a parent deteriorate as well yeah um that's something that i don't think that i'll ever i don't know i struggle with that i think when you watch someone age or deteriorate slowly it's a really difficult thing to watch so I hear what you're saying about, you know, living with your mum and seeing that every day and not being able to forget even for a second because that's what you come home to every day and that's, that was your reality. Yeah. Really difficult, but thank, thank you for sharing. Um, so but, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about you know, um, so your mum was in the hospice. Uh, do you remember the the day that she died? Did you get a call or do, yeah. do you remember much? Yeah, I did get a call. I remember it was a Saturday morning and I got the call and it was weird because it was like, right, okay, this is like the confirmation now. This is just a confirmation call that I'm getting to say your mom has your mother has died. But again, I didn't because I've been grieving already, I didn't actually cry when I got the call. You'd already cried or you cried everything that you could. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. And and I did start grieving again, but I remember on that on that day I was just okay, right. So I've got the call. They've confirmed that my mom's passed away. My mom's died, and right, okay. And it, I guess, I just had to reprocess it all again. Um, and it felt like it was a different stage of of you know of her illness of you know her obviously becoming ill um and now we've moving on to another stage where you know I, there was a stage where obviously she was um dying but and i was grieving but then now we're at the stage where 
okay, I've, I've had the confirmation that she's dead. Um, right, what, what am I going to do now? did it feel did it feel real when you got that phone call or it was just it was just like a formality like okay yeah yeah it was definitely like a formality like yeah okay right um and then I I think it took me another few days to sort of process that my mom had died and that was that was the end of our relationship and then I started to grieve again. So sad. <sighs> really difficult thing to go through. So you you say that you then started the next stage of grieving. So what did that look like for you after? Um, was it, for, you know, was it when you were organising the funeral? Or what did that look like for you? Um, the funeral was organised by my um, sibling siblings I think or my oldest sibling in this country because I have two brothers that live in Jamaica um, so my, one of my brothers that lives here he started to organize the funeral um, and I think that's what was organized with my mom that he would do that yeah um, so I wasn't really involved in any of that at all yeah, I think that's interesting. Do you think that's because you're the youngest and generally the youngest doesn't have a voice sometimes or? Um, I, I think that that played a part. Yes. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, I think maybe maybe my mom thought that that was something that um, my my oldest brother should be responsible for. Yeah. 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 And what was that like for you? You know, do you remember much of the day of the funeral? Kind of what that looked like for you, if you if you want to share it. Yeah, I do remember what that looked like. I think now talking to you um, has made me realise that I don't think I did grieve that much after my mom after I got that phone call, and then when I got to the funeral, I just cried my way through it. Like, yeah. I was probably the loudest person crying and cried the most. Um. Yeah. Yeah, we we don't know when our emotions appear. They, you know, they can appear when we least expect it. So although you, you mentioned that it didn't happen when you got the call, um, but on the actual funeral day... Um, it sounds like you were processing and grieving at that point because it what seemed real more real because of the finality of it or yeah. yeah I think seeing her lying there um in the coffin which was not something that I which was one request that I asked that they not do at the funeral um but that but that happened anyway and I know that you know um, in different cultures that we have different ways of um, having funerals and I think in the mm. Caribbean culture yeah especially West Indians uh, I think that we you know it's tradition to have the coffin open so everyone can pay their respects okay 
but I didn't want, I wanted to remember my mom the way that she was and the way that she looked. Yeah, I hear you. When somebody dies from cancer, mm. um, sometimes, you know, the way it affects the body, it can actually leave an odour. Yes. And, you know, I had to, I had an, um, a niece and a nephew there that were very young and they actually, you know what children are like, they don't have a filter. No, they don't. <laughs> I openly said, what's that smell? Yeah. Oh, what's that smell? And it was just, you know, um, I just didn't feel it was necessary but that was that was obviously my wish and not you know um not the not the wish of, of everyone else so yeah and that can be hard when you know we have our we have our own wishes of what we would like for our parents and I hear you you wanted to remember her how she was when she was living not your mum as someone who had had cancer and died of cancer um, so in the Afro-Caribbean community, was it a burial you had or was it a, a, a cremation or? Yeah, it was a burial. Yeah. Um, traditionally, I think it's main, mostly burials um, that we have in our community. Mm. And did you guys, was it in a church? Did you sing songs or hymns yeah. or? Yeah, we did. We sang songs, um, and I remember a friend of the family actually sang a song as well in the church. And then we went to the burial, and um, yeah, they they you know we stood around the coffin while they lowered the coffin into the ground. Yeah, what was that like for you? That experience. I mean, had you been to funerals prior to that, or was that your first? funeral that was my I had been to funerals prior to that um but my dad had died about five years earlier mm. so I'd been to his funeral so you'd already accustomed to what to expect really and yeah although nothing prepares you for it really no because I uh, had a totally different relationship with my father so. Mm. Yeah. and um so so it was sort of a traditional funeral in church and you sang hymn sounds really nice um did you get to deliver a eulogy or anything or is there anything else that kind of comes to your mind about that day that you want to reflect on no not really I mean I I didn't say anything um it would have been nice to have said something, actually, but um, I can't remember if I was asked to, and I maybe I might have declined, but I, I didn't say anything, and I, I don't think I would have been in the right place mentally, maybe to to say yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. And we did have. Um, we had, you know, the reception after where we had food and drinks. Um, but I remember that being quite awkward at times for me. Yeah, because it's almost like a party, but it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so is it celebratory or isn't celebratory? It looks like it is, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And and if you have got, you know, the dynamics of your your family is um, complicated. If it's complex, then you know it, it can be quite awkward to to be around them. Um, yeah, you, you when you have maybe resentment there anger um sadness um you know lots of different emotions going on um and it's yeah i found that quite difficult to sort of maybe put on a um a brave face for the guests that were there as well you know and and um so yeah that was it's quite quite hard yeah it's an added element that i think a lot of us don't need um during a difficult what is a difficult time already when there's other contentious things going on it can be really awkward um so I hear you on that and it's a difficult thing to process but it you know I mean do you think you got through that day do you kind of remember what the rest of that day was like for you did you head home and kind of what did the days after look like for you I think I did head, I did go home um, after the funeral and um, I think I just spent the next few days sort of grieving and sort of trying to get my head back prepared into getting back into work because I only had three days off work. That's all I was allowed to have. Um, uh. So. But that was your compassionate leave, three days? Yeah. Well, but that's not very compassionate. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what did, is that what your line manager said or was yeah. that? Just, yeah, okay. at the time, um, that was what they gave me. And um, I was like, wow, okay. Um, so I think one of those days were for the funeral. And then I had two days after that. And then it was back to work. That's really hard just because you've gone through such an ordeal and you've had to say goodbye essentially and then just return to work like nothing happened or did they kind of support you while you were at work in some other way? They were very aware that my mom um, was terminally ill with cancer and that she died and they were quite supportive. Um, I think they, they, thought they did support me as, as much as they could really. Um, but it, it would have been nice if they'd been a little bit more supportive and I'd had longer annual um, compassionate leave, really. Mm. Um, but it was a, a cor- it was um, what you call it a corporate company, um, so I don't think the decision was made by my manager. I think it was the management above that manager that you know had made that decision for everyone that was it that you know you got three days annual leave and that was it that's so harsh I just think that's so harsh um because I feel like it should be holistic at least ask the person what they want yeah yeah at at least and I mean that was back in 2008 right yeah and that still happens in 2020, I'm sad to tell you. 
Wow, really? It does, yeah. So, like, previously on the show, like, on my podcast, there's been quite a few people that we've talked about compassionate leave quite heavily, what it looks like in various workplaces, uh, even from my own experiences. And much hasn't changed other than the fact that Jack's Law now exists, uh, which is great. But um, I think she's now campaigning for it to include everyone, regardless. Uh, I think signed a petition for that, actually. Was that recently? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I um, I I had circulated it, and you probably saw it on Change.org. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. So she, uh, Lucy Heard, has now is now campaigning that it's not just for parents with a child up to the age of eighteen. It is now including everyone, uh, regardless. So that's that's probably the one that was signed. Yeah. Um, and she'd been campaigning for it tirelessly because her toddler died tragically. Um, and, I, and I do think it needs to include everyone. It does need to be more holistic. And they just need to ask the person, what is it that we can do to help you? Not the other way around. Otherwise, they're going to lose staff Yeah. that way. But I mean, so, you know, you headed back to work, got your head back in the work game. Do you remember kind of what the months were like after, you know, with your grief? I remember feeling that um, the world was still spinning and I wanted it to stop. Mm. I just, I didn't want, I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to continue living, but I just felt like everyone's just living their life like nothing's happened. Mm. Like my mom has died. Mm. How dare you just stop? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, yeah, of course that didn't happen because it can't. But yeah, I remember feeling like that. That was a very strong feeling that I had. And I just felt like, wow, you know, I am going through this and it's only the people that are really close to me that know. Mm. Yeah. It was, it was, I think over the, it's taken, taken, well, let me, let me start again. The, there's, you can't put a time on grieving. No. And I, I've been grieving for, for years. Um, as the years have gone by, the grieving has become less. And I think I'm now at the stage where, um I'm still you know if I sometimes if I talk about my mom I will shed a tear sometimes when I think about my mom I will still shed a tear but there's less of those moments now and I think as time goes on you know what they say time is a good healer and I just feel that now um that it because it's been um 12 years that It's becoming, my grief has become a lot less now and I've been able to accept the death of my mum. Yeah. And it does, it does change shape, doesn't it, over time. It it can look differently and um, it doesn't go away, as you said, do you still grieve? Oh no, it'll never go away. And I do tell people this, that it'll never go away. Well... I talk obviously from my own experience, but I don't 
I don't think for anyone that you're ever, you're always going to have those memories of that person. You're always going to have those memories of what they went through and how they died and how you felt. And, and sometimes, you know, things that happen in life do trigger that um, and do remind us as well of those experiences, I think. Um, sometimes, you know, it just, we're not prepared for it and something will happen and it will be a reminder. Mm. Um, and those you know those moments do happen but we have got our memories and that's something that can't be taken away Mm. and would you say you draw strength from your memories when you do get those reminders yeah yeah I say I definitely draw strength from that um and and think about you know how yeah the memories of my mom and how she was and you know, even sometimes when I'm struggling with something, I think about how my mom would have been, maybe how she would have supported me. Um, you know, just reminding it, you know, remembering what what kind of a, a person she was. Mm. And it was interesting actually because when I was at university, the um, the issue of race uh, not racism um colorism came up Mm. and i i actually realized then that my mom never that was not something that i was aware of that was in our household um whereas somebody else that i was talking to was saying that that was heavily had affected them in their household so and i was really proud of the fact that i didn't grow up with my the shade of my skin being compared to my siblings or being made to feel like I wasn't good enough because of the colour of my, the shade of my skin. Mm. Um, and that was because, you know, and I'm proud of my mum for that. You know, there's, there's little things that come up like that that make you, you're not aware of at the time when you're in growing up, when you reflect back, it's like, wow, okay. Yeah, so it, things like that, they do, things come up all the time that do remind you of your parents and, and the things that they did. I think that's amazing. Your your mum just sounded like she was wonderful and there were all these good lessons that she kind of passed on, ways of living, um, that you remember that maybe we don't reflect on back then, but we reflect on later. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that come to surface. And some of that can come to service when we have conversations with our other friends that are going through certain things in their household or, you know, when they talk about how they've grown up and then you kind of look back at your own experience. Yeah. Mm. Did you get any therapy after your mum passed away or not? I did, yes. Um, I remember, actually, when my mum died, I did, I think sometimes when we really are looking for something, we're searching for something. I I did go back into the church. Um, I I went to church when I was younger. My mum mm-hmm. took me to the Pentecostal church. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I started, when I was growing up, I didn't really enjoy it. So she allowed me to, <laughs> to not go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and 
but I didn't go back to a Pentecostal church. I went to um, a Church of England church. Okay. Yep. And, um, yeah. Um, and I actually got some counselling from them as well, um, which was. I had a couple of sessions, but I didn't really feel that it was more advice, I felt, or somebody was just sort of uh, listening than I would say actual actual counselling, because we didn't really, I don't, I didn't feel a, a connection. Uh, and, um, that, and that's important, isn't it? Very, very important. <laughs> yeah. I, I felt like in a way that they were just <laughs> almost nodding at what I was saying, but <laughs> didn't really understand my grief. Mm. Uh, was it faith-based then, the Church of England, where you got the... Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's interesting, because I would have thought any kind of faith-based uh, therapy I mean I, I, I speak from a space of I don't know because I've never had faith-based therapy but I just would have presumed that it's it would be quite uh, profound as in it wouldn't be nodding and there would be a lot of food for thought or something to chew on after <laughs> but yeah that, that, that's not that wasn't the case no no it wasn't and I don't know what sort of training they had so they could have okay. made just you know a counseling skills course so they they had the minimum skills um but i just didn't feel maybe because it was somebody it was a white man as well so it's uh, okay. somebody that looked like me okay i'm almost certain that would come into it yeah um, would do <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um yeah yeah so yeah, that I, I tried that and I don't think I had any more counselling for my bereavement after that. No. No. I don't okay. think Okay. That's really interesting. So what do you think kind of so I mean those few sessions were okay, I guess, but not ideal. And I mean they didn't understand your grief as as you say what kind of got you through it then what do you think you know because you didn't have any other therapy for your bereavement how do you think you dealt with it and are dealing with it is it just through the remembrance and the memories um so that's a really good question because i've been thinking about this recently um and i think talking to my niece maybe about my mom um and i don't really know how i've got through it i can't really put my finger on exactly any specific thing that i've done i think i've just given it time mm. and i've done my fair share of crying yeah <laughs> um, over the years and I've just given it time to yeah to process it all and I haven't felt that I haven't been really hard on myself in saying that oh come on you know your mom died you know x amount of years ago you need to stop doing this now I don't I think I've been quite gentle with myself mm. 
Um, and I think that's important to not give yourself a hard time um, because there isn't any time with grief, you know, it can. And I, I openly say this to people that I will always be grieving for my mom because um, I'm not going to say, oh, well, you know, by next year, I'm going to make sure that I don't grieve anymore. I think it's a really important process. Mm. Yeah, no, it's true. There, there is no time frame and it can creep in even when you think that you're not thinking about it. It can creep in at any time in your, in your life. Um, yeah, it's just a really, I, I still, you know, I'm still getting to grips with it myself and what it means. And I guess that's why I do the podcast because I'm very fortunate that I can speak to you and everyone else about how this works for people yeah. and, and, and how they move forward, not move on, but kind of coexist with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So you talked about that your mum is from Windrush generation. What what do you think about when that comes to mind? Like in terms of your I identity kind of, does that come into play as well? Because I mean, I hear that you'll always grieve for your mum because there'll be so many more milestones that you reach in your life and she won't be here to witness that. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of it too but do you ever think about like your identity and just what it meant for your mum because she was part of you know essentially a generation that rebuilt this country after the war yeah I definitely think I think with um you know there's a lot of things that um are have been happening recently that have definitely made over the last few years um, I've started reading and becoming more aware of, of um, everything that's been going on regarding, um, you know, black people. Um, yeah. And I'm very much aware of, of, you know, the that the government have really, you know, they they've treated people from the when the Windrush generation really harshly um, in, in sending them back home mm. and um, detaining them um, and just just you know and they were invited here and it, it does break my heart actually to think that my mom is part of that generation and that that could have happened to my mom if she was still alive Oh my gosh, yeah. You know, she could have been detained. They could have said, well, you know, um, you're here illegally. Um, we'll have to send you back. And I don't think my mum could have coped with that. She has her two sons there, but that relationship is also complex because, you know, um, back in those days, we, you know, I, I believe that siblings were left there and then brought over here and, mm. you know, send for them and that didn't really happen ah uh, see so it's not like she could sort of go back to Jamaica and rely on them um I don't know how she would have been able to have made made a living out there or you know it, it's just yeah it's just crazy mm. uh, 
Well, she lived her, most of her life actually in the UK, so she's British, and yeah. uh, and it that just doesn't make any sense. That sending someone to a country they haven't been back to in God knows when, and you know don't have a home there. So how does that even work when they detain people and send people home when that hasn't been home for a long time? Where do they go? Where do they get detained? I don't. So I don't fully understand that. Well, they've got a detainment. They've got a centre where they, they're oh. detained. Um, so it's like a prison? Yeah. Well, that's just fuck. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so yeah. angering. So yeah. angering. And there is actually um, uh, a, a TV series that um, is on TV. And I, I don't know the name of it now off the top of my head. but um, And it's... Um, it's basically about somebody who um, was detained, was brought here, and it, it ruins the whole family. Um, they lose their home. He loses his job. Well, it actually starts with him losing his job um, because they lose his job because they say, well, he hasn't got the legal papers to work. Mm-hmm. So at first they lose, I think he lost his job, and then because he didn't have an income then he lost his home so the family had to move out of the home um, and then um, they had to be supported by family members and then he was detained um, a couple of times actually um, but it did have a good ending it had a positive ending but the family went through a lot to get that positive ending and, and, and that's it. And that doesn't, I don't think that, it just makes me wonder how many families actually have that positive ending. Mm. And it's not a silver lining even so, because no. you have to go through so much, as you say, uh, an ordeal just to get to that. You know, it's yeah. fighting for justice, isn't it? Yeah. And then you've got to rebuild your life again. You've mm. got to go back out there and, and find another job, get another home and... You know, that's it, it definitely ruins lives. Mm. I mean, your mum was from a fantastic generation that was invited here and contributed so much. And do you um, take solace from that? Because, you know, we are raised by giants, essentially. Um, yeah, I do. I do. And I, I you know, um, my legacy is to to honour that and to see the privilege that, maybe not the privilege, but the, you know, what my mom, why my mom came here, why my parents came here and I was able to have the opportunities that they didn't have Mm. and what they went through for me and my family for us to be able to do that. Uh, I think that's really important and it's definitely something that I hold dear to my heart as well Um, you know that we could never really know the pain of that generation because they they came here in a very difficult circumstances and uh, when I think about it I find it very heartbreaking 
Um, so I think it's wonderful that, you know, you, you take that legacy away with you. What is your favourite memory of your mum looking back? And, it, you know, it could be anything big or small. It could be food. I don't know. But obviously, I don't want to put something in your head. It's, yeah. it's something that's personal to you. I mean, my mum used to make caramel pudding. Mm, what's that? Which is, uh, it's made of caramel. I think it has milk in it and coconut. Mm. And it's a Jamaican pudding. Mm. Um, and so that you know she had a really she used to make it so it used to come out perfectly and you know as it was growing up eating that um and having my mum make that was a really is a really good memory um I've tried to make it a couple of times myself but it doesn't quite come out the same it's never the same is it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, sometimes I would just have thought, oh, I wish, I wish I could make caramel pudding. So I wish Mom was here so she could make it for me. Um, yeah. Well, that's a lovely memory. And uh, also, when I was a little girl, hmm. uh, my mom used to take me to a seamstress um, to get my dresses made. Oh, so okay. I also remember us going to the market. Um, and picking the material and um, my mum buying the pattern for the dress and then me going to the seamstress and having uh, a couple of fittings before um, uh, I finally got my, my dress, my dress for Sunday church. So, yeah, that's, that's a memory I'll always have. That's a really nice memory. Yeah, that is lovely. And that's very old school as well, because that was the thing back then. You would go to the seamstress. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not so much now. I don't know if people do that now, but yeah. Yeah. That's... I mean, I've had a few things made, but mm. it's not something that, you know, we we don't, I don't think we do that as much as we used to. Yeah. And it was probably economically better to do that back then and affordable. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, whereas now something like that is very vintage and um, it's kind of flipped on the other side of the coin now. They kind of make that more expensive to do now. Yes. But, um, whereas back then high street stuff was really expensive. Now high street stuff is fast fashion, you know. Yeah. You buy it very cheaply and whatever. And um, it's just interesting how times change. But really, <laughs> yeah. And and stuff comes back into fashion, and you know, yeah. yeah. But I always think that clothes that are made are better quality. Of course they are, because they're fitted to your figure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they definitely are. And just the time that's taken to make them, and the you know, it just yeah, they just feel a bit more special, really. Yeah, there's nothing quite like it. Um, yeah. Oh, well, it's a lovely memory, Shireen. Thank you very much for sharing it. And I think it's important to reflect on those memories. So before we go to the Gratefulness Challenge and your social channels, what's the one thing you want people to know about grief? And I know you've probably already touched on it, but if you, if you were to give a message to our listeners, what would you like them to know? I think grief is a very individual experience. Mm. And... Um, it's very difficult to describe somebody's grief or or I know there are the stages of grief that we go through um, 
Do you believe in those, though? I don't know. I, I think I believe in some of the stages of grief. Um, I'm not sure if I believe in all of them. Mm. But I do think it's really down to the individual and the experience and the relationship they had with that person that they're grieving for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as a counsellor, I can relate to grief, but my experience is always going to be individual to me. Um, so I would never try and describe how somebody else should be feeling because I think that that's their experience. Um, I think it's important to not give yourself a hard time. You know, I, I've, I've come across um, clients and, you know, just people, um, colleagues and, and friends that say to me, oh, you know, I, I probably should be over it now. Um, I just don't think there's a, a time to ever be over it. Yes, that grief might get less as time goes on. But I don't think we should um, be putting so much pressure on ourselves to say that, yeah, we need to just get over this as soon as possible. Because it is an important process. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that our listeners will get a lot of value um, from your message there today which now kind of brings me on to your social channels. I know you've recently set up a group. Uh, do you want to talk about how to reach you on social and the group that you've set up? Yeah, um, I've set up. Um, so during the lockdown, um, of course, with all the um, everything that was going on, not just, uh, you know, COVID-19, but also, you know, the, the death. The, the killing of George Floyd and um, all the protests that have been going on, um, I decided that um, I wanted to start a support group for black families. Mm -hmm. So I've set up the Black Family Support Group, which is um, on Instagram. We are also on Facebook. And I will be... We will be available soon on the site called meetup.com. Mm -hmm. um, and you can contact us through any of those um, social media sites. And um, if you email me, there's a link that you can email me directly. The email is blackfamilies2020 at outlook.com. So if you send me an email there and, and you would like to join the Black Family Support Group, then I, I will send you um, a link to a Zoom. Um, and we, it is an online at the moment because of, of the, you know, it's difficult to sort of get everyone together at the moment and we are restricted by numbers. So um, it's initially online, but hopefully as the restrictions get lifted over time then we can meet up in person and the idea is is that we support each other um i'm there as a facilitator but not a counselor so i i'm not offering counseling um 
but I can use my counselling skills and um, as I work in mental health in a supportive role I also have um, access um, to a lot of the support that is available so I can share that as well and the idea is is that we are able to support each other as a group and sort of become our own family. That sounds really wonderful. Thank you for sharing and I'm sure lots of people will be in touch. I think it's a really important initiative so really grateful to you for setting it up. Thank you. Yeah so that now kind of brings me on to the gratefulness challenge. Um, I'll just quickly go over what this is. It's a reminder of what the gratefulness challenge is. It's just where we say what we're grateful for in the here and now. It can be big or small, but it should be personal to you. Um, would you like to go first or shall I? Uh, yeah, if you go first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I'll give you some time to think about it. Um, I haven't even thought about mine. Um, I'm just grateful for connecting with people, I think. I think it's really important, you know, especially as you age, because it can be harder to make friends as you get older. And I've just found since doing the podcast that I've just connected with so many people from all walks of life and experiences that do different things, whether it's, you know, mental health, counselling, creativity, um, just grateful for the connections you know, the grief space has been really wonderful. I think everyone holds everyone together. You're really held. And I've just appreciated all the support, really, and connecting with one another, like yourself and and many others. And I, I just think that's really important, that even as we do get older, we can still connect with people uh, through our shared experiences. So, yeah, I'm just grateful for the, the grief space and connection, really, just the ability to keep connecting with people. I'm grateful for this opportunity to be able to talk about my grief because I haven't really had the, a platform where I've been able to talk about my grief and, and, and be heard. So I'm really grateful to you for giving me that opportunity. That means a lot to me. I've had support over the last few months from different people, friends, um, a counsellor that I, I saw recently, and she's really helped me um, to process a lot of things and to actually see my potential. Mm. Um, and I'm grateful that I've been able to start the group and hopeful that it, it's going to be successful. Oh, I'm sure it will be. It takes time, but it will be. <laughs> These things do take time, trust yeah. me. Yeah, I'm not giving up. I'm not <laughs> no. giving up, so, yeah. No. Oh, well, I think that's really lovely. Thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome. It, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thanks very much. And to everybody that is listening and that tuned in today. Well, that was Shireen Kerr. She was talking to me about her mum who died of cancer in 2008. I love holding this space for people so that they can get heard and tell their story. For some of our guests, it's not the first time that they're sharing their experiences. It might be the second, third or millionth time. For others, it's the first time that they put themselves 
in that seat, in the vulnerable seat, where they will share their experiences and a deeply personal account of their life and how it's impacted them. It's something that I, I don't take lightly at all, being a bereaved person myself, but then I know that we all live this differently from one another. And it's just like Shireen says, that you, she'll never stop grieving for her mum. She'll always grieve for her, for her mum. And I think that's something that grieving daughters will always resonate with because yeah, the grief never stops. Let's wish Shireen a lot of love, but also continued success with the Black Family Support Group. She's also giving away free counselling sessions. Um, I will tag it all in the episode show notes. But as always, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm your host, Kolsima Ali.